0: you're listening to Rumination Tuesday on Law and Gospel on this Tuesday, September the 8th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Mark Smith. Hi, Mark. Hey, Tom. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing good, but we still can't seem to get the tune played over the radio. I'm going to have to do some work on it. We're taking a look at a hymn that's Come Down, O Love Divine. I'm really not very familiar with it, and so I'm gonna be using you a bit here. It was anonymously written, uh, so we don't even know who the author was, but the fellow who did the translation was Richard Littledale, born in 1833 in Dublin, Ireland, and boy, did he receive degrees. A BA in 1855, an MA in 1858, a Doctor of Laws degree in 1862, and was ordained a deacon and a priest in 1857. He was a good friend of John Mason Neal, and after Neal died, Littledale finished volumes two through four of Neal's Commentary on the Psalms. He was quite a translator because he translated, you ready for this? Yeah. From the Danish, the Swedish, the Greek, the Latin, the Syriac, the German, and the Italian.
1: Wow, (laughs) boy, multilingual.
0: Yes, his interest was in Christian ritual and supported in some measure his concern for evangelizing the poor, uh, disadvantaged, and uneducated. Died on January the 11th, 1890. And so he was the uh, uh, translator. So, you, when I talked to you earlier, you said you were somewhat familiar with this hymn.
1: Well, I do remember the melody a little bit. I remember like the first, oh, the first couple, first line or so. And it's kind of a pretty one, as I remember. I think it goes, "Come down, oh, love divine." Uh, I'm, that's about it. That's about all I know. But it's, 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 it's pretty.
0: Yeah, I had a choir it's a prayer for from, the Holy Spirit. I had a choir from the King's College, Cambridge, singing it, mm-hmm. and it was really beautiful. I can hear it, but it won't come over the radio for some reason. So without further ado, why don't we take a look at this hymn, Come Down, O Love Divine, if you would be so kind as to uh, read the first stanza.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a prayer that God would uh, pour out his Holy Spirit all the more on us. Come down, O love divine, seek thou this soul of mine, and visit it with thine own ardor glowing. O comforter, draw near, within my heart appear, and kindle it, thy holy flame bestowing.
0: So that's the first stanza. It's uh, actually an Italian vernacular hymn of praise, called a lauda. Have you ever heard of that? L a u d a.
1: Well, that uh, that that means praise, in yes. in the in the uh, Greek.
0: They were simple songs, often anonymous, and um, the individual who we think. Did part of the writing of it, Bianca da Siena. He joined a community of unordained men devoted to preaching and works of mercy. And he has 92 of these that were finally published in 1851. And of course, they were translated by Richard Littledale. So, Stanza One, you were quite right petitions the holy spirit to come down to inflame the soul with heavenly ardor what's specific about stanza one you like
1: well it's kind of interesting uh it would uh, somebody would have to believe be a believer already and already have the holy spirit within them in order to really pray that prayer
0: yes in fact did you notice in our particular hymnal Uh, the title at the top?
1: Pentecost.
0: Yes. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well said. Yeah. And um, so this is a hymn to the Holy Spirit. uh, Come down within my heart appear and kindle it, thy holy flame be showing. This reminds me of the words of David, creating me a
1: clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me.
0: Yes, and that came to fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. So this would be an appropriate hymn uh, for talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting. I was taking a look at the readings from Genesis 50, Romans 14, and Matthew 18. And um, I was having a little problem seeing where the Holy Spirit were in those. Did you get a chance to look at any of those readings? Well,
1: let's see, Matthew 18, that, uh, that talks about uh, church discipline. And um, let's see, Romans, what was the other 14. One? Romans 14, yeah, I looked a little bit at Romans 14. And it, it talks about humility, you know, not, not judging. And that comes out in this hymn. Uh, Not to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, my, uh, it it talks about our vesture being one of humility.
0: Yes. um, Not to pass judgment on other servants. It says, this is interesting. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let the not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So that was kind of a controversy. Do you have many members who are just vegetarians?
1: Not that I know of. <laughs> I've got some I've got some relatives <laughs> that are that are uh, what either vegans or ve- vegetarians which you know, I cannot understand. My dad w- was in, in federal meat inspection. He wouldn't have understood it either. You know, I mean we we all loved meat in our household but uh, there's some people that just, you know, they, they they won't eat anything that has a face on it.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah, I've heard
1: that. I a want anything of, that has a face on it.
0: When I look at a cabbage, sometimes I, I recognize somebody.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so well, that, you know, kind of- I will say
1: this: uh, you know, I've seen I've seen some of these guys that go to extreme. Uh, I, I've also I, I've also known guys in the past. A, a, a friend of mine, who fell a fellow football player in the past, he went pure. Vegetarian. And uh, what I've heard is he, he looks really good now. He He's thinned down and looks great. But I think have you, you can take it to extreme.
0: Have you ever heard of Kobe meat? It's a uh, with cows. It comes out of Japan.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I saw a video on it, it is really expensive because it's some of the best meat in the world. And I was watching butchers as they were cutting it apart and cooking it, and it kind of just melts in your mouth. Mm. And so I was kind of thinking, and it has a different kind of fat. It's not the bad fat. It's a a good fat. Mm. And there really are laws in Japan where these are uh, bred and grown so that they really watch what is happening. But have you got any other examples where people in the church may look down on someone because of a practice they're following that is still permitted by God, but people get envious of it or they become concerned over it.
1: I'm trying to think. I don't know. We Lutherans, we Lutherans are are pretty much look askance at, at uh, legalistic practices. We, uh, you know, we, if, if something is adiaphora, we know about it usually. Um, Will you please explain adiaphora? Adiaphora is things that are neither commanded nor forbidden by the Scripture.
0: And so the Scripture doesn't command you to drink alcoholic beverages, but it also right. doesn't restrict you right. if you don't do it to excess. Right, that's right. And there are actually Christian churches that do not permit the drinking of alcoholic beverages because they're afraid a person is going to become inebriated.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, the church that I was a pastor of for for many years, they did not, uh, they made it a rule that there would be no alcohol other than the Lord's Supper, of course, there would be no alcohol drunk on our premises. And... I don't know it's it's a shame because I remember there was one family that wanted just just have a toast at a at a reception and um no the rule was no alcoholic beverages on premises and the reason being we were always afraid of its abuse people you know people drinking maybe out on the parking lot and having an accident driving off or something like that but it it is a shame that um you know some churches make that rule but and some churches are I I also know of another church that had actually had a uh, an what a, a license to sell alcohol so there's yes. that extreme.
0: Right, exactly. Um at the church I was at for 28 years they were building another building and the men were out there and they had beer. And they had left the beer bottles, you know, around on the ground, and a neighbor saw that, and she was really upset with all the drinking. It really wasn't that much drinking, and that's why they made the rule that in church activities, alcoholic beverages wouldn't be served.
1: Yeah, that's that's often what happens. See, and in order
0: now now notice what Paul says: that the one who's a vegetarian. Who insists on being a vegetarian is considered the weak Christian. What does uh-huh. that mean?
1: Well, because um, uh, because you know God has said that you know, he, He's He's declared all these foods clean, yes, uh, provided they're in, 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 indulged in with thanksgiving, um, and the Christian that's into the scriptures knows these things, whereas some people, the, the weaker the weaker brother doesn't realize it. He thinks that there are some foods that are forbidden. And, yes, uh, well said, well said. So
0: I'll read stanza two, which follows stanza one about the holy flame bestowing. Um, but why don't you go ahead and read stanza
1: two? Oh, let it freely burn till worldly passions turn to dust and ashes in its heat consuming. And let thy glorious light shine ever on my sight, and clothe me round the while my path illuming.
0: Yeah, one of the things about this hymn, it's not obvious where the Bible verses are coming from. Uh, there's not a quote from a clear Bible verse, but mm-hmm. at the bottom of our page, they do have Bible verses from Romans and John, etc. Right. So it's no doubt Bible verse. So when it says, let it freely burn till world is passions turn, what do you want freely burning? Well, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Yes. The fire of the Holy there, Spirit. The,
1: mm-hmm.
0: There was a fire, was there not, on the day of Pentecost? Flames of right. fire, tongues like fire that
1: descended exactly. upon all the, all the, mm-hmm, all the uh, not not just the apostles, but everybody that was uh, gathered together, all the all the followers of Jesus.
0: Yes. Uh, when I think about when I hear about the fire, remember how the disciples reacted on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus was going through the Old Testament, giving the reasons why the Messiah was crucified and rose from the dead, remember it said that within them their hearts were burning.
1: Yeah, didn't his words burn within us as he told us, this, as he opened up, up the scriptures to us, he said. Yeah, you know, that's, this... uh, that that really is neat, you know, I mean, that those guys, you know, they reflected back after they saw Jesus disappear right in front of them, hey didn't you know didn't you feel his words his very words burning within us as we walked upon the way and as he opened the scriptures to us what a what a it's just a, a neat story in fact they
0: had their hearts burning within them before they recognized it was Jesus right right which is a real good example for us that when we say the word of god hearts can burn even though we're not Jesus. Right. I mean, how many times have you forgiven the sins of someone who comes to you in repentance and their heart burns within them as upon the authority of Jesus you forgive their sins? Yes.
1: And the very fact that they come in to talk to you, that they want that comfort, that they know they've done something wrong, and they want to hear God's word of assurance and comfort, that shows that the Holy Spirit is already burning within them.
0: Yes, yes. In fact, um, CFW Walther makes a really good point. He says, if you're ever worried about whether or not you're repenting sufficiently, that is actually a sign that you are a Christian that's right because the non-christian couldn't care less exactly so the stanza goes on let thy glorious light shine ever on my sight what does light refer to
1: let's see let thy glorious light the light of the holy spirit the light of the light of the word the light of the gospel
0: Yeah, I would think that it could be a reference to Jesus.
1: Mm -hmm, That too. The only reason why I hesitated is I would think that would be capitalized, that word light, if it were referring to Jesus. Maybe that's just, maybe they just left that a little bit.
0: Well, uh, I've noticed how many English Bibles don't capitalize anymore when it's dealing with Jesus or God, like the word he will be with a small h and this sort of thing. Well, uh, I like got,
1: them capitalized. Uh, right. Uh, just before it, it says, and let thy, referring to the Holy Spirit, let thy. Now, that's capitalized. Yeah, that's a good point. Light of yes. the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it could, it could certainly be Jesus. I mean, it, it's certainly connected with Jesus. Um It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the gospel to be the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus himself, life. You know, it's like we teach, we have a a Bible study series. It's called life light. And that's, uh, that's right. Yes. That's where that's of course, Jesus is the light. All right. I'll read
0: stanza three. Okay. Let holy charity mine outward vesture be and lowliness become mine in inner clothing. True lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part and or its own shortcomings, weep with loathing. Boy, that really kind of needs to be
1: explained. Some of those. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, here, here's where the, the humility uh, comes through that I mentioned before. Um True lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part and even to the point where you know we we uh we we weep about our you know we uh or we have regrets about our own misgivings our own shortcomings
0: that's proper repentance
1: right we know yeah, we, a... we, we just you know even even in our humility. We realize, we realize, you know, I'm just, I'm just a poor, miserable sinner. You know, this person comes to me for forgiveness. Who am I but just a poor, miserable sinner? And, and all I can do is share with him the forgiveness that God gives me and him. And, and that's
0: stanza three is talking about two gifts of the Holy Spirit. The one is charity and the other is humility. Right. And that humility really comes through in that last line and or its own shortcomings weeps with loathing right how, how do you understand the word loathing there
1: well like i said uh i am a am a poor miserable sinner uh it comes through through you know uh that that hymn it's a Lenten hymn for such a worm as i remember that remember that line yes uh how does it go would he devote to say his sacred head for such a worm as I? I'm a miserable worm <laughs> in sight of God compared to God. And yet he devotes, he devotes his, his life, he lays down his life on the cross for this miserable worm. In fact, I remember Luther in one of his writings, you know, who am I? Luther says, who am I but just a bag of worms?
0: <laughs> I think that loathing comes through in Romans 7. Where the Apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, I'm unable to do. The things I want to stop from doing, I'm always not able to do with them. In, in other words, he loathes that he would have a different life. Yeah. And that's why and he says, he goes he's on going to, to say, deliver me.
1: Yeah, he goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So and he is loathing. He's loathing himself. Exactly. All right, stanza four, please. Okay. And so the yearning strong with which the soul will long shall far outpass the power of human telling. No soul can guess his grace till it become the place wherein the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling. Those last two lines are really neat.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the Corinthians passage that no unbeliever can understand the Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit. That's right. Without
1: Without the Holy Spirit, we can't believe.
0: So using reason or evidence falls far short rather than using the Holy Gospel. So what it is saying is nobody can even imagine the power and magnitude of the Spirit's indwelling until after the Holy Spirit is received and the soul is filled to overflowing. Yeah.
1: So how would you use... I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, nor come to him, but that the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel.
0: Yeah, you're quoting the meaning of the third article, third article of the Apostles'
1: Creed. Creed. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm doing a adult instruction class right now at one of the churches, and we just started with the uh, first article, I Believe in God the Father Almighty. And I asked the question, what does almighty mean? And the person, he's going through confirmation, gave the answer you hear from anybody, if you ask that question, even among Lutherans, and they will answer by saying that God can do
1: anything. I would qualify that. No, I would, I would say it, it's, it's better than that. God can do whatever he wishes to do. That's what you got to say.
0: No, what I said to him that that was wrong, God yeah. cannot do anything. He cannot send a Christian to hell. There are lots of things that Mm -hmm. God binds himself to by means of his promises. Right. That's where you got to bring in law and gospel. So he's almighty doesn't mean uh, any amount of power he has. Almighty, you got to divide the word. All might. It means there is no might. There is no power outside of God. Even the devil, read the book of Job, can't do anything except right. that God gives him permission.
1: Well, I've always explained it, and maybe it's, I don't know if it's as good as your explanation, but, uh, you know, people will say, well, if God, you mean God can sin? God is almighty. He can do anything. No, God does not sin. He can do whatever he wants to do. He does not wish to sin. And for that matter, as you say, he doesn't want to go against his promises. He is bound by his promises.
0: Yeah, if, if you think of the Ten Commandments, every time you break a commandment, you're throwing a gift back into God's face because you don't believe the promise. Right. And that's really important that people understand that 10 commandments aren't broken by disobedience as much as they're broken by unbelief. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, right now you're retired, so you're not teaching any classes
1: not not at present i'm not I'm not close to, to teaching i you know if if uh, if the opportunity ever comes up, but uh, real, right now i'm not I'm not teaching anything on a regular basis.
0: but you did preach at your church recently.
1: yeah, I preached uh, back in uh, august right yeah,
0: exactly. So how are you enjoying retirement? I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I bet.
1: You know, the sk- schedule's a little bit more open, of course, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying it fine.
0: You don't have the pressures of getting out the bulletin, getting out right. the newsletter. Right. And the and, meetings. Uh, the meetings, I don't, you know, I, I don't miss meetings at all. <laughs> oh, really? See, I so, like meetings. Um, some guys do. Yep. Yeah, I always enjoyed meetings because that set the stage as to the direction the church is going. Yeah. And we're going to be talking on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with the direction the church is going. Once more, taking a look at CFW Walther's lectures on Law and Gospel. So I'm Tom Baker, and you listened also to Mark Smith. Join us tomorrow for Walther on Law and Gospel. Until then, God bless you.